Now, if there's uh, one thing that everybody expects at some point in a church service, it's a collection. We all know at some point that an offering bag or plate's going to be passed round, and uh, some churches can be quite canny about what's done in association with that. In some churches, I know, they actually announce before they take the collection uh, what was in the offering last week. So you can kind of get the hint if it was a bit below par and dig a little deeper into your pocket. Uh, In other churches, they're kind of very much in your face. You'll find one of those giant thermometers uh, outside the building because they're trying to raise some uh, money for the new roof or whatever it may be. And uh, you can see how well the collection is progressing towards uh, that target. So I guess if we think of anything when we come to church, we think, well, yeah, somebody somewhere at some point is going to ask us for our money. And what Paul didn't tell you about me is that uh, before I met Paul, I was working for a cancer research charity in London and my job was to be a fundraiser and uh, to encourage people to give money to that charity. And, uh, well, I wonder why uh, perhaps he asked me tonight with a verse like this. This, referring to the sudden death of the rich man, is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. That's a bit of a knockout fundraising line, isn't it? Cough up or die. Uh, Your money or your life. So uh, have I been asked here tonight to get you to cough up? Well, let's ask ourselves this question. Is that actually really what Jesus told this parable for? Is is that what he means us to understand by it? Uh, And is a fundraising talk, cough up and uh, uh, or whatever it may be, really using the right approach to what Jesus was saying here? Let's try and set what uh, this parable is telling us in its context. It comes in a a body of teaching that Jesus gives uh, with a a, a general audience listening to him. And he's just given some very profound teaching. If you've uh, closed the uh, Bible, it's in the Church Bible on page 1045, page 1045, and there in Luke's Gospel and chapter 12, he's just said some very profound things. He said in verse 5, I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. He's been talking about eternal issues. And yet somebody in that crowd uh, is really just not listening because he pipes up in verse 13 and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He's in some dispute with his brother over the grand piano that grandma left them and uh, he uh, wants Jesus to sort that out for him. Well, Jesus says, no, I'm not a judge or an arbiter between you. That's not what I've come to do. But in the way that Jesus so often does, he he takes that interruption and he uses it to teach us something quite incredible. He says in verse 15, watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And then he tells this parable in that context to make a point about greed. Now, it may help us to uh, change some of the language here. If you're a farmer, it might be very familiar to you, but I guess probably most of us aren't farmers, and this uh, parable about crops... Let me try and put it to you this way. Uh, What what this parable is really saying about this rich man is that between his pension fund and his ISAs and his PEPs and his investment portfolios, he's now got enough to take early retirement. 
And that's what he's planning to do. Now, is that wrong? Uh, I have to say my own father took early retirement. My brother has taken early retirement. My cousin has taken it. And I would be surprised if some of you haven't taken early retirement. Is that wrong? Is there something in the Bible that says we've all got to work until we're 60 or 65 or, or whatever it is? Well, I think you'll you'll find various things about work in the Bible. You'll certainly find that the Bible says if we can work, but we won't work, and then we sponge off other people, that's not a good thing to do. But I don't think there's anything in the Bible that says if we have worked and we've made some wise investments so that we can take early retirement, that it's wrong to take early retirement. And especially it's not wrong, is it, if we're going to use the time that we no longer need to spend at work uh, doing something useful. So surely it's not just the idea that the man is uh, wanting to take early retirement that's being criticised here. Surely what's being criticised is this. He has a particular motive for his early retirement and you'll see it there in verse 19. I'll say to myself, you've plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. This man was utterly preoccupied with his own ease. And yet, although he had the money to take early retirement, as our title says, he was rich, what he's going to show us tonight is that you can be rich and yet poor. He was rich in the sense that he had great barnfuls of goods and he was greedily planning a life of ease, but he was poor because Jesus actually says he's a fool. And Jesus says, I think we can see here, three things, exposes three things about him. He says, look, This man hasn't acknowledged how he's got his money. He's not using his money for God. And above all else, he really hasn't got any grasp on why all of this matters. And I want to take those as three headings, three ways, if you like, to look at this parable with you tonight. Three things that make this man a fool with the aim that we shouldn't be fools. First of all, I think what's very clear in the parable is this man never acknowledges how he came by all this wealth he's enjoying. It says here that the ground, verse 16, of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And that reminds us that he hasn't gained all his money by his own work. He's not a purely self-made man, is he? Because God gave him the talents to be a good farmer. God gave him good growing weather. God gave him fertile soil. God gave him fruitful seeds. That's why he's rich. But you'll search the parable for any acknowledgement of that from this man. And look at the things that he says in verse 19. He says, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Sorry, verse 18, he says, I will tear down my barns and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. He's very certain as to how he's got where he is today. And to quote that uh, famous old CJ, he says, I didn't get where I am today, but he doesn't say because of God. He says, because of myself. You see, in, in his own view, everything he's got has come because of his own efforts and he is reveling in the abundance of everything that he's earned for himself without one mention of any need to thank God for it. Now, doesn't that make him very modern? 
I mean, he's obviously going on about crops and barns and stuff, but isn't that, isn't that a very modern attitude? How many people do you know who, who are proud of themselves and, and what they've achieved for themselves with their family and uh, uh, their possessions or their house or their foreign home or whatever it may be? But how many of those people will actually acknowledge that they wouldn't have any of those things without God? How, how many of them would acknowledge, actually, we wouldn't even exist without God? You see, this is the start of what it means to be rich towards God. It means that we need to begin by accepting that whatever we have, we only have it because God gave it to us. And whatever talents we have, whatever gifts we have that have enabled us to earn money or be successful or, or gain a reputation or be popular, whatever it may be, those talents, those gifts, whatever they are, God has given them to us. So you see, if you want to be rich towards God, then start there. Start by thanking God for whatever is good, whatever he has given you that perhaps you might otherwise have been proud about in your own right. And don't do what this rich man does. Don't, don't just say, yes, I've got where I am today because of me. That's why he's a fool. Because he doesn't acknowledge that he's got where he was because of what God has done for him. Second reason that this man's a fool, he's not using his wealth for God. Now, that's scarcely surprising, is it, really, given by his attitude to my grain, my goods, and so on. You know, if he's earned all of this, well, then surely he can use it just how he wants to. And so he's given us the motto that we all know, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Perhaps we might use that motto in jest a little less easily if we stop to think for a moment as to how he's condemned for saying that. You see, he wants just to have everything he's got for his own pleasure. But a little later on in Luke's Gospel, there's going to be a great contrast made between a man like that and a poor widow. In Luke 21, it says, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she has to live on. She's actually given more. She's rich towards God, even though she's only put in a few pence. She is the right example. This rich man is the wrong example. Aha! So is this now where we come to the fundraising talk? Uh, the collecting plate or bag is going to be coming around later. Uh, are you going to be assured of a great blessing if you put a few more pounds in this evening? Uh, is the lesson that if only this rich fool had perhaps just given a little bit of his money away, helped the poor and needy a little bit, all would have been well. Sorry, it's not quite that simple. You see, that really would have been rather like trying to treat his symptoms rather than his disease. You see, the, the fact that this man doesn't use his wealth for God is a symptom of a much deeper disease, a disease of his heart. And if he was just to give some money away without having had any change of heart, well, that really wouldn't treat his underlying disease at all. It's the season of weddings, and uh, we were at a wedding yesterday, and we'll be at three more over the course of the summer, and I'll be very surprised if by the end of the summer we haven't heard a reading from 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm sure if you're going to a wedding this summer, it'd be uh, uh, not surprising at all if you hear it. 
And you hear in there that actually, even if I give away all my goods to the poor, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You see, just giving money on its own is a little bit like having a pacemaker fitting, uh, fitted if your heart stops beating properly. The pacemaker will treat the symptoms, won't it? It'll keep your heart beating, but it doesn't deal with the problem. What you really need is a new heart. And in the same way, putting a little bit more in the collection tonight, well, that's not a bad thing to do, but it won't get to the heart of what it means to be rich towards God. So what is it really that this man is failing to do? What is the basic problem? What is the disease that he's suffering from? Well, earlier on, back in Luke chapter 9, Jesus has said that he's going to die. Luke 9 and 22, he says of himself, the Son of Man, that's how Jesus speaks of himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And what Jesus is saying in just those few verses there is that God has been immeasurably rich towards us. What Jesus is saying there is that God has given his son to die on the cross for us. And why Jesus went to the cross is because of the disease of the heart that not just this rich man in the parable has, but actually each and every one of us has. This disease of our hearts that the Bible calls sin. This disease of our hearts that means actually in our heart of hearts we don't love God. We're rebels. We we don't want to follow God. We don't want to go God's way. We want to go our way. If ever you wonder what sin really means when you hear that word, just put an archer on the end of it. Sinatra, Frank Sinatra's famous song, My Way. It's that easy. That's what sin is. It's going my way instead of going God's way. This rich man is the great example, isn't he, of a man who's going his way. He doesn't acknowledge what God has done for him. He's not being generous to God in the present time. But you see, the richness of God towards us is that Jesus Christ went to the cross to forgive us and to change us. And if we will follow after him... It's going to mean a whole lot more than putting a few pounds on the collecting plate. Luke 9:23. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. And then almost as if he's speaking to this rich man, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? What good is it? for this man to have stored up all of these crops and to know that he can spend the rest of his life on earth at ease if he'll forfeit his very soul. So you see, how we use our money is a symptom. It's a sign of what's going on in our hearts, but treating the symptoms no good. We need a heart treatment that only Jesus can give. But you see, so often people don't want that. So often people want, as it were, to keep God at arm's length. So often people want to fob God off, as it were, with a few pounds on the collecting plate or a good deed here or there or or whatever it may be. And if you're thinking like that, let me show you the third and final thing about this rich fool this evening. 
You see, he, he thought that he'd got where he was without God. He thought uh, he could just live as he wanted in the present and didn't need to use his wealth for God. But really, the biggest problem that he had was to fail to recognize why it all mattered. You see, death might have seemed a long way off in the future to this rich man. He was planning to take life easy for many years, verse 19, but God says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. None of these riches and possessions and things that he had were going to count for anything because none of them can come with him. If you think about it, whether you're young or old here this evening, we've actually all, haven't we, already started to lose some of the most valuable possessions and things that, that we ever have whilst we're still alive. Probably, principally, I'm thinking, perhaps not so much possessions as people. But we've lost loved ones, haven't we? Perhaps our health isn't as good as it was when we were younger. Perhaps our bank balance isn't as healthy as it was when we were younger. Perhaps our, our status and significance isn't what it used to be when we were younger. Julie and I had a, an encounter in Sainsbury's car park the other day with, a, with an old chap who was going along very slowly and he sort of moved out of the way and, and he said, oh, do pass me by, he said. You know, he said, and then he suddenly like uh, sort of opened up and told us his life story without us even asking. He was in a suit, a very respectable-looking older gentleman, and you don't often see people in the suits in Sainsbury's car park, and he said, you know, uh, nowadays, he said, I'm always in people's way, but it used to be I had 30 men working for me, and I was this and that and the other, and he told us his life story, and he told us where we can find his name on a plaque somewhere on a wall in Oxford. But he's an old gentleman now, stumbling through Sainsbury's car park, all that he has prepared for himself in terms of his status as, as someone of importance in the locality has already begun to crumble, just as that plaque on the wall, wherever it is, will crumble one day. Perhaps you're realising that. Even as a younger person, perhaps you're beginning to realise actually that, that we can't hold on to things in this life. We can't take things with us when we die. But it's not even that that's the real serious thing for this rich man. Jesus says, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Perhaps that might even encourage you in a way to think, well, my children will get what I've prepared. I'm going to leave them a good inheritance. I'm leaving them a good start in life. Perhaps in a sense, uh, that might almost encourage you that you can't take it with you. But, but we haven't really hit at the heart of it yet. Because Jesus has just spoken about judgment. He's just talked about fearing him who, after killing the body, has power to throw you into hell. And I wonder where this rich man would have stood on that night, that very night when his life was demanded from him. He would have stood before his maker. And what would he have had to have said for himself? He hadn't accepted everything that God had done for him. He, he thought he'd done it all for himself. He hadn't used his money to help others. He'd given no thought to the future and what was going to happen after he died. He was utterly unprepared to meet his maker. He had all his pensions and his endowment policies and his ISAs, everything sorted out. But he wasn't prepared for death. And that's what makes him so poor, even though he was rich. And the point about this, you see, is he's a fool. And we'll be a fool too if we find ourselves standing where he's standing on Judgment Day because we don't have to be. 
Because Jesus died to save us. So that we wouldn't have to face the judgment for what we've done wrong in this life. Jesus died on the cross, the perfect, sinless Son of God, in our place, bearing our sin. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And he died to save us from the judgment and to save us to spend all eternity not on a cloud strumming a harp as a disembodied soul, but as that reading from the Old Testament in Isaiah reminded us, in a wonderful place, a new Jerusalem, where there'll be no more crying. There must be plenty of crying in Jerusalem tonight and other parts of the Middle East. But in that new Jerusalem, as resurrected human beings, we will never know death or sorrow or sickness again. Dear friend, let me ask you tonight, Perhaps you've spoken to a financial advisor. Perhaps you're young and this is a long way ahead of you. But even if you're young, one day perhaps you might speak to a financial advisor to help you plan for your retirement. But let me ask you, have you spoken to Jesus about what's going to come after that? And have you reckoned actually that in fact your death might come before your retirement and not after it? Because, you see, that was the greatest foolishness of this man. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Don't be a fool like this rich man, but get ready and be prepared. Put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.